Welcome to the Lead and Follow podcast. I'm your host, Sharna Fabiano, author of the book, Lead and Follow. And I'm pleased to bring you the latest research, insights, and educational techniques in the emerging field of followership to help you connect and collaborate better with the people around you, whether you're leading or following. Please do leave us a review in your favorite podcast app, and thanks so much for listening. Today, I'm talking with Pedro Portela, a complex systems thinking coach and a self-described network enthusiast living in Portugal. An engineer by training, Pedro is now a freelance consultant for peacebuilding and conflict transformation. And among many other things, he's also a tango dancer. I am really thrilled that Pedro has agreed to chat with me today because he's been exploring several areas that I really aspire to learn a lot more about. So this episode is going to be a real treat for me, and I'm sure it will be for you as well. Pedro, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Sharna. I'm really delighted to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. You are so welcome. Now, I I want to jump in maybe just to satisfy my own curiosity, but I think it'll Mm -hmm. be fascinating for listeners as well. Would you just share a little bit about how you found your way into systems thinking and the study of networks. Mm-hmm. The origin story. <laughs> yes, totally, totally. So I um, um, ever th- since I can remember, uh, I was always fascinated with, with science, with science fiction. I was a huge science fiction fan. But at the same time, also interested in, in philosophy and uh, all these very you know, big questions of, of mankind. I decided to, uh, to, to study engineering. So I'm a, a formally, I'm an engineer by training, a mechanical engineer by training. And I actually started, you know, my, my first career steps were in aerospace engineering and I you know, helped found a company in the aerospace engineering. And, um, I always loved systems engineering. So mm. learning about how complicated projects or how complicated spacecrafts are assembled together, you know, many disciplines coming together to uh, produce a very complicated product. And I'm using the word complicated and not <laughs> complex uh, on, uh, on purpose. So as a project manager and as a company manager as well, I found myself getting more involved in the, in the human dynamics of building complicated machines and complicated projects. And I got myself more and more interested in the in the human aspects of building the projects rather than the technical aspects, because it turns out I'm a lousy engineer. <laughs> but I think I was a good project manager and I, I was a good team player. So eventually I decided to, to leave that company uh, because of a governance issue. In hindsight, I can see it. It was a governance issue. It was uh, due to different understandings of how to organize a team and how to structure power in the team. Uh, given that we were working with complicated uh, uh, projects, some of them becoming complex when once you introduce the human, <laughs> the, the human factor into yeah, it. Yeah, maybe at some point you can distinguish those two for us. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, sending a sending a, a robot to Mars is a very complicated endeavor. So you need a lot of expertise, you need a lot of experts, and you need a lot of mm-hmm. effort in um, in in building. Uh, the you know the parts and making sure that they run together, but it's a linear process. Mm-hmm. So you you just well, big air quotes here. You're just assembling parts together, <laughs> and and this is this is what I would call a very complicated, uh, very complicated project. Okay. When you start when you start introducing 
human beings and uncertainty mm-hmm. and facing phenomenon with our, which are emergent, meaning that you ca- they cannot be explained by the sum of its parts, uh, then you mm-hmm. start uh, entering the realm of complexity. And so mm-hmm. what I used to say is that, you know, an airplane is a very complicated machine, but it's not a complex machine. Once you put, put a human in the controls, it starts <laughs> getting complex. And so all of all our efforts as, as engineers and especially as aerospace engineers was to reduce the complexity as much as possible, trying to make a complex endeavor into a complicated one, which we, we one which we can control. And we've been very success, successful at it in the aerospace sector. Thank you. That That's really helpful, actually. I, I appreciate that. I think it'll set us up for the rest of the conversation, too. Sure. And so, uh, as I was saying, I, so I, I left that, uh, uh, that company and... Um, and, and I decided to take a year off to go and, and read because this is something that I hadn't <laughs> done in a while. I went to uh, Schumacher College in the in the UK, which is a you know very alternative school uh, for sustainability and uh, and you know and, and climate change, you know Gaia theory and the sorts. And that, that's where I started to hear about systems thinking and systems mm-hmm. science. And of course, as an engineer. <laughs> who was passionate <laughs> about systems uh, engineering, I thought, oh, this there's mm-hmm. something very interesting. And down the rabbit hole I went. <laughs> you know, I, start, I started doing some pro bono work for local organizations, local associations. Mm-hmm. When I started then reading about network science and network theory as related to you know, understanding complex systems, that's when I thought that I here's something that I can work with as an engineer, like creating network analysis models, um, network dynamics models, and, and really trying to make all of these insights from complexity and network uh, science into actionable tools and, you know, stuff that activists and, and, uh, and, uh, um, and civil society could use to um, enhance their efforts in, in social change and, and, uh, and environmental change. Now I want to go down the rabbit hole with you. It sounds super <laughs> fascinating. And when you were des- describing the difference between complicated and complex, you know, all sorts of little bells went off on my head because of, you know, as you know, and as listeners know, I am a leading fo- lead and follow fanatic and I'm fascinated by the sort of dynamic relationship, which in many ways I, I think is a complex relationship because mm-hmm. when you put lead and follow together, especially, you know, in a form like Tango where you can see it, you get an emergent result, right? You don't know necessarily what's going to, what's going to happen. I wonder if you could maybe define network for listeners, you know, as you study it. The most fundamental way to, to, to talk about networks is networks are a set of nodes and their connections between nodes. Mm-hmm. You're, we're surrounded by networks. In fact, current Thinking talks about us living in a network of networks. Your brain is a network. Your brain is a, mm-hmm. uh, a network of neurons uh, connected with each other. Airplanes, air travel is, mm-hmm. um, uh, is a bunch of airports connected by uh, airplanes. And, and societies, uh, society is a huge so- social network, a set of individuals connected by relationships. Now we can ask, so what are these relationships? And, there, and this is where we go yet another, down yet another rabbit hole in defining what are mm-hmm. these relationships. I usually talk about 
systems and networks interchangeably because systems are networks, you know? Right. That makes sense. And uh, what, what fascinated me about the network science is that there is this whole body of knowledge that tries to um, conceptualize networks in a way that mathematics can deal with it. You, know? you can abstract a society almost um, as a network of, of, of nodes and the relationships between them and, and understand how they're structured and how this, how the network structure affects whatever the network is, uh, uh, is doing. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I'm already learning so much. I'm going to ask the silly question, making a, a bit of an assumption here, but maybe you can help me clarify it. So like, okay, everything's a network, right? Everything's a system. So I'm imagining that by understanding any given network that allows us to maybe impact like what that system is generating or what the current reality-based outcomes are. Would that be a correct assumption or am I kind of oversimplifying? We human beings, we work on models. We don't work on reality. We work on models of reality. Uh, we work on abstractions of the real world. You know, we can even debate whether what we're seeing and what we are, you know, perceiving is actual reality but mm -hmm. a model which our mind uses to to uh, um, to make sense and to create mm -hmm. and make meaning of reality and so networks mm -hmm. i see as another model now there's this famous adage that all models are wrong some are useful <laughs> right networks for me is like the latest iteration of these models of reality which mm -hmm. allows us to understand a little bit better how reality work and and I'm especially concerned or I'm especially interested in social phenomenon how social reality mm -hmm. actually uh works and so if you have a better model how can we use that model to create conditions for things to happen or things to evolve in a certain way because mm -hmm. and this is how network thinking or network science connects to complexity and the and and the and, and the lessons mm -hmm. of complexity science so in when if you're if you accept that you're working on a complex system you can't really talk about about predictability or about steering mm -hmm. a uh, um, a system in a, a complex system in a given direction but you can create some rules or create some boundaries or create the conditions to increase the likelihood that it will evolve into a specific uh, direction and you can see that this you can see this on the dance floor as well so i actually use use tango and the and the, and the tango mm -hmm. analysis on my uh, on my trainings yeah i know as you're describing that i actually was visualizing a dance floor and thinking okay yeah we don't know what's going to happen out there but we can set some conditions you know go around in one direction here's you know your common language so to speak to kind of shift it in a direction of harmony you know or hope that the conditions arise for everyone to have a exactly uh, a peaceful uh, joyful experience yeah it, it's it's about the pattern so you can have the same group of people in the same room dancing the same music t uh, twice and you will never get the same format of of uh, of the dance you will get a completely different one uh, but it's still tango. It's still the same music, mm -hmm. and uh, it, and you will probably have couples going around the the, the room. <laughs> but it's never going to be the same experience. I want to read this beautiful sentence you wrote in one of your articles, and then uh, perhaps you can use use dance to give us a you know more of an example of uh, how this works. 
quote, Tango is an emulator of a complex adaptive system. While you're dancing it, you practice with your mind and body all the skills necessary to act in an uncertain and complex world. Of course, I'm a dancer too, so I love that my practice is equipping me with all these skills that I didn't even know I had. And of course, the listeners know I wrote a whole book about what I learned about tango and uh, how that applies to relationships. So um, I'd love for you to speak a little more about how you see the dance floor and maybe, you know, use this as a, an example for us. I rediscovered the connection between uh, uh, tango and, and complex systems when something dawned on me while I was researching and studying about complex systems, which is if you want to be consistent and coherent with the lessons of complex systems and complexity mm-hmm. science teaches you, you have to throw away command and control and prediction, which is basically mm-hmm. everything our modern society is based on, right? And everything, so it's not only societal, it's, it, it's deeply ingrained in our, in our psyche, uh, we, we long for control. We long for prediction. Everything else causes us anxiety and stress. And, you know, the past couple of years have been nothing but anxiety and stress and uncertainty. So it's like if, if life, life is telling mm-hmm. us, guys, you have to deal with this. <laughs> you have to deal with it because this is what life is. Yeah. And so how, how do we reconcile these two? So how do we reconcile our need for for control, for, predict, for predictability, with the fact that life is uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. Mm-hmm. And this is where I find these practices, like tango. For me, tango is a, is, is a practice, is almost, it's a mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. When you're dancing, you're practicing everything that you need to be in the now while enjoying yourself, <laughs> you know? Hopefully. And uh, it's not like martial arts. I also I also did martial mm-hmm. arts, and, it, and and martial arts have these had the same uh, a similar lesson mm-hmm. to learn, except that in martial arts, if you if you don't pay close attention to what you're doing, if you're not present, you get punched in the face. <laughs> so, which is also a good way to uh, to wake yourself up. In in tango, it's if you practice being in the now practice being in connection, practice being aware of what is around you, but not lose focus, being in the flow, Mm -hmm. um, you will actually have a very blissful experience. So it's not all chaotic. Mm -hmm. There is some, some, some order and you just need to learn how to practice your ability to live, to turn that apparent chaos into blissful order. Mm -hmm. And this is something that it, this is not, of course, yeah, you need to learn some, there is some technicalities in mm-hmm. it, but it's a state of mind. Mm-hmm. And for me, like living in, 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 in complex adaptive systems in, in, with complexity and uncertainty, it's a state of mind. And stuff like tango puts you in that place of mind. I think, I feel. <laughs> yeah, no, beautifully said, beautifully said. And uh, thank you for satisfying my curiosity through that network of of topics. At the risk of adding another topic, um, I just want to, because I know you're a tango dancer and a martial artist, when you reflect on the ideas of leading and following, I wonder what you see in terms of, you know, a complex system or a network. Like, do those things come into the dynamic in that frame or would you say it a different way? 
we need to talk about power because a lot of what is being exchanged in social networks is about power. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we don't need to talk about oppressive power or or manipulative power. It can be it can be soft power, right? It can be our ability to mobilize someone towards a specific, you know, goal which can be positive, which can be which which can be negative. Mm-hmm. And that happens in 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 relate in lead and follow relationships. My intentional choice to follow somebody's voice, mm-hmm. somebody's mission, mm-hmm. and, and the combination of these choices is what uh, what makes society work. The reason I am so interested in the whole followership conversation or mm-hmm. movement is that I think we we tend to forget how much intention there is in our followership decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and how much power we have by choosing to follow and reflecting on what it is that I want to, or who it is, who is it that I want to uh, to follow? We tend to be blocked in this idea that um, everyone needs to lead, mm-hmm. while actually everyone needs to needs to be more in touch with what it is that they want to follow. Mm-hmm. I mean, social networks, and by the way, when I say social networks, I don't, I don't mean digital social networks. I mean mm-hmm. the actual, you know, physical human relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is always a lead and, f- lead and followership dynamics taking place. Yeah, I, I also, of course, I'm, you know, a strong advocate of more following and uh, more like consciousness of, you know, how and who uh, and when we're following for me it's 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 so obvious mm-hmm. that the relationship between lead and follower mm-hmm. uh, it's so out of balance in our world today mm-hmm. we rarely see someone uh, adv- or promoting his followership <laughs> workshop right? right or somebody signing up for a followership uh, workshop and and I believe that, you know, some of the paralysis we see in today's world and some of the frustration we see in the world today because people feel powerless before everything that is happening around mm-hmm. us, war, climate change, elections, polarization, whatever, yeah. uh, it, it's because we, we are waiting for this uh, <laughs> le- these leaders and mm-hmm. we forget that we make those leaders by actively choosing to follow you may choose to follow an idea and a dream or a myth, and that is the leader figure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a person. It can be an idea, a dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just give a shout out to our conversation uh, from from previous week on Pedro's podcast. I'll put a link to that in the show notes, so we'll talk about that later as well. I was having a thought as you were talking about following and how we overlook it and wonder, do you think that the tendency to lead to lead or to kind of focus on leadership is a little about control. You know, you'd mentioned earlier that, you know, there's this impulse for humans to want to control and predict everything, even though complexity theory tells us it's impossible, right? Mm-hmm. There is constantly an emerging uh, reality that we need to deal with. But that tendency to want to lead, I wonder if that's a little bit about control and our reluctance to acknowledge following or the relationship between leading and following is somehow like reflective of our aversion to the unknown, uncertainty, emergent 
uh, reality because to, you know, to acknowledge that leading and following is this sort of complex emergent um, dynamic or to acknowledge that followers have influence on leaders so they can't entirely predict what Mm -hmm. will happen that, you know, that puts you right in that space of, I don't know, right. The moment in the moment, like, I don't know, I have to be present and aware. I'm just sort of brainstorming here. What do you think of that? I may have a very uh, pessimistic uh, (laughs) perspective on this because I I think we've, we've lost a little bit our, we're we're addicted to control. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the Enlightenment and to the scientific revolution. Sure. And we went all in. Uh, all in on control. <laughs> <laughs> all in on control. <laughs> in every aspect of human existence. Mm-hmm. All in. <laughs> to the point that we've lost we've we've lost the collective memory. Mm on how to live life differently other than command and control. Okay, there are mm-hmm. hints that it, it is not lost. In fact, <laughs> you can see remnants of it in very young children. Mm. Very young children. And I've, I've, I'm, I was fortunate to be able to follow my daughter, <laughs> witness her birth and follow her all the way to... Uh, she's, she's now two and a half mm. years old. And, and, and accompany the process mm-hmm. of how a human being starts making sense of the world. We're actually almost biologically programmed to understand systems and to understand complexity. Mm-hmm. And our brain is almost hardwired to, uh, to work with, with complex adaptive systems. And it makes perfect sense because we've always been surrounded by them. Mm-hmm. But we lose it <laughs> once we go to school. <laughs> no, really. Yeah, no, Seriously, I am we, laughing we, because it's sort of like laugh or cry, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the situation there in the US, mm-hmm. but at least here public schools are all about command and control. You sit in a room, you listen to somebody that is telling you what to do. Yeah. Right? From very 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 young age. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's what you were exposed to mm-hmm. until you're out of college. Mm-hmm. And once you're out of college, you're you're you know, you go to the workplace and that's exactly the same kind of dynamics that you uh, that you get. And the narrative behind our, you know, academic curriculum, it's about control. Yeah. Right. Especially in the, in, in the hard sciences, in, you know, engineering, mm-hmm. maths, and the, it's about control. Mm-hmm. It's finding more and more expertise in more and more fields mm-hmm. and being the expert in that field in order to control that field. Abs- uh, absolutely. I think it's very insightful what you're saying, and I so appreciate the way you're widening the scope of our perspective, really expanding the view of where we can see this control pattern active across multiple aspects of our social existence together. And for me, I I can definitely see all that you're describing in my own earliest memories of school and work and just general life. And I think in my way of thinking, I would term this whole thing a leader-centric paradigm. Yeah. And I want to be clear that leading is not a bad thing, right? We, we want leadership to exist. But when we focus on it by itself, if it's leading only, then we have no awareness of followership or followers or the influence of followers or other people on the leader. Mm-hmm. That's when we automatically slide into this command and control paradigm. At least that's how I see it happening. Yeah. And when we're in that leader-centric 
paradigm, it's inherently dysfunctional, at least to some degree, precisely because it's disconnected from those who are being led, right, from everybody else, from the follower side. But as soon as you then add following and followership back into the equation, in other words, as soon as you put the act of leading and dialogue with the act of following, then instantly the whole thing changes. Exactly. Leadership then almost cannot mean command and control because just like in a dance, every choice you make then results in a response from the other side. And so the outcome is emergent and not predetermined. I wonder what your thoughts are on the connection between the command control paradigm and this this excessive emphasis on leadership that we seem to have. Sometimes it makes sense to command and control. It makes sense to command and control an airplane, right? Um, it doesn't make sense to command and control a phenomenon which is emergent, which is ever dynamic. And we've and we've seen hints of this over the past two years mm-hmm. during the pandemic. You can become a leader and not being necessarily in control. You can be the, the you, you can become a leader because of the space mm-hmm. you host or, or the space you create for your followers to to step in and to and to take charge. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point. I really appreciate the decoupling, right? Those two concepts that yes, in certain contexts it might make sense for a person in a position of leadership, right, to command and control, say an airplane, but to limit mm-hmm. the role of leader to that is like so extremely narrow and, you know, non-productive and counterproductive, you know, in many ways. Pedro, I want to shift a little bit and um, make sure we have some time to talk about your most recent work in peace building, because I'm super fascinated by that. And I think Mm -hmm. it might, you know, just give listeners a little more of a view into how you concretize some of this uh, incredible research that you've done. You've been doing some work in South Sudan. Can you give us a little orientation to that? Mm. Uh, project, and um, then we'll kind of go from there. I've been working as a as a consultant for um, U.S. based philanthropy on a peace building and conflict transformation initiative in in South Sudan. It's really not a project because we're not projecting, mm-hmm. we're not throwing <laughs> anything into the future, other than our commitment to accompany this group of currently twenty four South Sudanese men and women of less than 40, 40 years old. A generation which will become the leaders <laughs> <laughs> of, of the of the country if they manage to <laughs> to get their followership mm-hmm. right. <laughs> so we we call it peace building, but it's actually about accompanying people who have been who have incredible life stories, all of them, who have been through a lot in their lives who have a lot to teach me about Mm -hmm. complex systems and thriving and surviving in the midst of chaos and uncertainty. So I've learned a lot from them. Actually, one of my first ahas when I met -hmm. met them was, you know, I'm not not here to teach anything about, you know, being in a network or or working in networks to people who survive a civil war. Because if you do survive a civil war, you know, you have the PhD (laughs) in complex systems and networks. Mm -hmm. So we were accompanying them on this journey of, you know, becoming this network of uh, of young South Sudanese peace builders. They are coming from different tribes and ethnicities, different, very different backgrounds. We have civil society members, we have, have engineers, we have doctors, we have NGO staff, 
and they're actively choosing to be together differently. And and this is what I find extremely prom- mm. promising, not only for South Sudan, but for the whole mm. world, because they're addressing the issues that are pressing for all of our societies mm. today, which is how do we overcome polarization? How do we overcome the us versus them? How do we overcome our trauma? How do we, and, and this is a quote from from our, our senior fellow at HU, um, John Paul Lederach, how do we imagine living and sharing the life in an interdependent relationships with people who probably mm. hate us or who were responsible for, for doing a lot of harm to us yeah. back in the days when the war was raging? And this moral imagination, which is the title of mm. John Paul's book, is exactly what the world needs right now. And so every single day or every time that I, every time I spend with, uh, with my South Sudanese colleagues, I get reminded of how much of what they're trying to do over there could percolate to the rest of our lives and to the rest of our societies and to the rest of our world. Yeah. If you subtract the context, which is, of course, mm-hmm. extremely different, you know, the human dynamics at play are the same mm-hmm. in Portugal, are the same in Europe, in Ukraine, in the U.S. Yeah, it sounds like they're really co-creating or you are co-creating a new model, as you know, you mentioned earlier. And what we so often need is just like a, a different model, right, to live in complexity. Yeah. And we need to try it out. We need to be honest in our attempt, at, <laughs> uh, which means that we will fail most yeah. of the times, but that's okay. As long as we stick to the commitment that we will learn, we're doing this because we want to, we want to learn, not because, and that's why I, I refrain from using mm-hmm. the word project, because project implies mm-hmm. an end and there is no mm-hmm. end to this. There will be an end to our to our mm-hmm. engagement and our and our support. That's clear, but there is no end mm-hmm. to this process of learning how to be together, which, which steers us away from you know violence, from um, and from from mm-hmm. conflict, from polarization. <laughs> yeah, right. We don't want there to be an end to that, right? We want to continue improvising, right? How to be together? I, I would think. Yeah, it will never come to an end. The quest for peace is the ultimate human endeavor. You use the word accompanying, which is a beautiful word. And uh, mm-hmm. I appreciate the correction around the, the term project. And I'm going to examine my own language around that in future. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the word accompanying, it makes me think about following. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I, I wonder if you would see it that way or mm-hmm. if you see any of what you're doing with this group, you know, as following or leading or both. Yes, Absolutely, absolutely, and I've used, I've used the term followership, and I've I've actually done a, a small workshop with uh, with my colleagues on on followership just to highlight mm-hmm. this. Because absolutely, in 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 fact, what what in in this particular initiative, we are constantly reminding ourselves that we're not in mm-hmm. the lead. We're not mm-hmm. leading anything. If anything, we're we're struggling to understand. What is it that mm-hmm. this collective, what that this group do together and wants to manifest together? And we're there to to accompany and to support in this. And our job and, and you know, my job mm-hmm. specifically is to understand so where where does it make sense mm-hmm. for me to come in? 
you know. And sometimes I lead. You know, to give you concrete examples, we're we're now talking about you know, governance, decision making, and you know, and this is something that I've been advocating for. But we should talk that we should have a conversation about this, and then this naturally emerges, and it takes the time that it takes. You know, we we're not we don't have an agenda. It will it, it will just emerge when it when it emerges. And uh, uh, another opportunity to lead is, for example, to um, we need to put up. We need to put together a a document, you know. And I can lead in the process of creating a draft with questions, you know, that can be then iterated. And then I step back and then I follow whatever mm-hmm. this uh, uh, this first step leads. And so, and this is how we, you know, the the, the, the consultants and mm-hmm. facilitators are, are approaching this. Is this interplay between uh, between lead, uh, lead and follow. It's like, uh, if we, if we were mm-hmm. an orchestra, we, we, we're not the conductors. We were the people with the, mm-hmm. you know, with the bass <laughs> every now and then playing a note. I love the bass player <laughs> analogy and the orchestra analogy in general. And if I'm understanding you well here, it sounds like the work that you're doing, this the peace building, as you're calling it, mm-hmm. is actually a lot of following and sometimes leading when when needed. Yeah. Although you mentioned that you were very intentionally not leading most of the time. Yes, absolutely. Which I just want to underline here for listeners, because due to our pervasive cultural bias, we tend to assume that all the power is in the leading. But you're demonstrating here that there's actually a lot of power in following and that frequently that is the place to be, right? That we really need to devote some some of our energy there to following. And so I wonder if you have any other recent examples of what that looks like in the way you're working in this group. South Sudan is, is, is an oral society. So it's, it's, it's not that, that usual to have written documents. So this means that, especially during the pandemic years where, where we weren't able to you know, to travel, mm-hmm. to be together and, you know, spend a week on a retreat with them. Most of the interactions happen over WhatsApp, mm-hmm. over very poor voice calls. It was really impossible sometimes for us to even do sense making. So what is, mm. what on earth is going on? What's happening? And there were some times where there were some minor, um, you know, minor conflicts, um, some stuff that needed to happen and, and, and didn't take place. And, uh, and this is this was the point where we we um, consciously stepped mm-hmm. back, <laughs> sat down, and said, "All right, relax, mm-hmm. <laughs> trust." <laughs> because I really there was no point in us in, in trying to really lead something there because the reality is happening mm-hmm. offline, and our only channel of communication was online. So, what else do you have except step into the followership role and see what uh, um, and and mm-hmm. see what emerges and whatever emerges is the right thing and you'll and you'll and you'll you'll deal with it. It's really a, a, a mindset and it's really a a process mentality. It's a great example and it, it does really illustrate the different mindset because I could even feel like in my own system, you know, my own body and brain as you're describing that difficulty and communicating. I'm like, oh, but I need to like nail it down. You know, I need to do something and make sure we all like meet. But, you know, that's my own tendency to control. I recognize, you know, and um, what if it's okay to just 
wait, you know, to just step back and recognize my desire to control is not the important thing, right? What is the, what is the bigger goal here? It's how we're being together yeah. for the, you know, long, indefinite future. I think that is tough, like psychically, yeah. right? We have to really, um, it's like taking a leap of faith in a way and choosing to to exist in a different frame of mind and body. Yes. And, and, and the opportunities for self-reflection that that gives, because mm-hmm. then you, 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 and, and I speak for, for myself, like you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, why are you being such a control freak? <laughs> totally. Why do you yeah. want to see this happen so much? You know, and, and there, and I mean, it's of course good things and you, you, you want some, outcomes to come from your actions and from your agency yeah. you want to feel agency right you want to feel mm-hmm. that you have something to say and you want to get feedback mm-hmm. from those actions but sometimes you a don't get feedback you have a completely different feedback mm-hmm. or you 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 don't ever you don't really know <laughs> what is happening to something to an idea or to a, something that you've said and why does that cause you so much frustration and anxiety and, and stress? What does it tell us about our own psyche and our own personality and so on? So it, it gets yeah. you. It gets you. <laughs> it really does. And it brings me back also to one of the things I learned from the Tango community, which is, can I put the relationship first, you know, versus like, I'm going to do this move, you know, like, why am I so attached to that step? You know, but all right, I... I Am I prioritizing my own like predetermined thought that this is best or am I prioritizing the relationship itself and my mm-hmm. experience in the relationship? And when we do that, you know, I think both in dance and in other realms, like something different happens, you know, something totally different happens. Pedro, I, I feel like we might need to have part two here, but I want to make sure that in this episode anyway, we point listeners toward your podcast and your your work so they can learn more about what you're doing. Um, I've listened to a few episodes already. They're fantastic. Not only the one that I was in. So please tell us a little bit more about that. So this is something I decided to do later uh, uh, last year. I started interviewing people who I believe have something to say about governance and about network governance or governance of, of collective movements um, because I believe that the, you know, the 21st century challenge challenge is how can we get our act together as a global civilization <laughs> you know great question uh, <laughs> and yes. and this is becoming more and more pressing with you know climate mm-hmm. change and the threat of uh, World War three we seriously need to think and reimagine new ways of getting together and there are some great examples out there that, of course, don't solve all of the world's problems, but they're a step towards it. And I started this uh, this podcast where I interview people like you <laughs> and uh, and other um, community leaders and uh, leaders of NGOs and, and researchers thinking and investing in, uh, in, uh, in in governance. You can find it on uh, now on Google Podcasts as well and on uh, on SoundCloud. Excellent. It's called "It Takes Two to Tango." Thank you. Yes, that was what I was going to ask. Great. So please check out Takes Two to Tango with Pedro Portela. I'll put that link in the show notes. And I, I want to thank you so much. And I just want to comment here as you're describing 
you know, this huge question, right? How do we be together? It's almost like one of those magical paradoxes where in asking the question, you have to then kind of let go of your attachment to the answer because the nature of the question puts you in this present moment reality of complexity, right? Where we have to acknowledge we don't know what the emergent thing is going to be because we have to be together differently, right? And that requires this, the open-ended dialogue, this willingness to follow, the willingness to step back. So I just want to encourage listeners to invite themselves, right, to kind of be in that paradox or to consider the possibility of being with each other in a different way, right, as you're saying, and perhaps letting go a little bit of our you know, whatever might be in our minds and bodies in terms of thinking that we might know definitively like how it is, uh, because simply that act of saying, I might not know yet, is the revolution, right? It is the the change that puts us in the state we need to be in. Thank you so much. Any other final uh, words here you'd like to leave listeners with? Just one, one, one anecdote <laughs> coming from Tango. One of the last times I went to a Milonga, I witnessed something really Wonderful. There were, it was a very small milonga. There were two couples dancing to um, Osvaldo Pugliesi, one of my favorite uh, composers. Mm -hmm. And um, one a couple was a very young couple, very dynamic, going very quickly around the dance floor. In the end, and the, the other couple was, you know, middle age, slightly older couple. And they were dancing very slowly, making, just walking doing pivots and, uh, and eight figures. And uh, when the, the music ended, you know, the, the, you know, the follower of the first couple was exhausted and clearly not really having a good time. <laughs> the, the older couple, when the music uh -huh. ended, they just embraced themselves and they kissed each other. And um, I just found that, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it doesn't have to be very, very complicated. It's, you can do, you can dance mm -hmm. your way through life with very, very simple steps. As long as the connection is there, you don't need to, you don't need to be a performer. You just need to be happy and, and connected to the person you're dancing with. So I found that really brilliant. Beautiful image to end on. I feel, <laughs> I feel like you've given me permission to you know, to let go of a few things, a few of my own attachments. Thank you so much. And uh, wish you the best. Uh, I learned so much in this hour and um, I look forward to our next conversation, Pedro. Thank you, Sharna. You have been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast. Special thanks to Glover Gill for composing our music. And thank you to all of our subscribers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. And if your team or organization is interested in followership training, please reach out anytime. I'd love to help.